says, get that India, big boy. Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Tip Sheet. It's not quite an instant reaction edition. This will be a full-blown review podcast because it is Sunday the 9th of May, Mother's Day indeed, um, and we have all three grades to review from round nine. Joining me as always is my good mate, 60s. 60s, uh, have you said um, I love you to your mum this week? Mate, of course. Good man. And uh, and she loves to listen to the podcast. She's uh, one of our loyal uh, listeners tunes in every week so happy mother's day to mum love you mum and uh to all the mums out there hope you're having a great day and let's let's say that this was all planning that we were saving this special reaction podcast as a mother's day gift yeah it was it was clearly all planned and uh, not just that happened to work that way logistically this week because of all the other stuff we've been up to which we're going to talk about later in this podcast um very cool things happening at tct now but um, let's get into the NRL Review 60s. In round nine, the Parramatta Eels hosting the Sydney Roosters at Bankwest Stadium. The Eels running out 31-18 to 18 victors on Friday night. Uh, it was a game played under nice conditions despite the uh, initial forecast with the Eels scoring as such. Blake Ferguson opening up the scoring for Parramatta with Bryce Cartwright then nabbing a double. Tom Opacic and Dylan Brown rounding out the five try scorers. Mitchell Moses perfect from the kicking tee adding a field goal at the end of the game. For the Roosters, it was a Matt Ikevalu hat-trick with uh, Sam Walker and Kieran adding a goal apiece. And I think it would have been, yeah, it would have been uh, Sam Walker with the miss. So Kieran, perfect from the tee. He also added a penalty goal. In terms of team stats, the Eels dominated possession 64% to 36%. And you might say that they should have scored more points based on that discrepancy in possession, but they had two tries uh, somewhat controversially overturned along with Blake Ferguson missing a third by a mere matter of millimetres. Uh, Parramatta Eels had probably their best season, uh, best game completion rate-wise completion rate on the season at 88%, 42 of 48, compared to the Roosters' 70%, 23 of 33. And uh, given the uh, discrepancy possession, the Eels do lead most key attacking indicators. Uh, 215 runs to the Roosters, 139. 1,711 metres to the Roosters, 1,169. Uh, 628 post-contact metres to 399 for the Tricolors. Equal amount of line breaks, but the Eels having more tackle breaks, better set distance, and uh, although less kick return metres, surprisingly. Um, that's actually an interesting stat there. Uh, Roosters with the faster play the ball speed again, 3.28 to Parramatta's 3.72. Um, and then in terms of other stuff, uh, defence was somewhat similar between the two teams. Eels slightly more efficient in their tackling. Um, and in terms of negative plays, the Roosters with twice as many errors as the Eels, 16 to 8. Uh, they conceded one more penalty than the Eels and five ruck infringements to Parramatta's one, uh, which also oh, they've broken up all the six against stuff. So it was five ruck infringements to Parramatta's one, but they were also pinged for being inside the 10 once as well. So it was actually six ruck, uh, six, six again infringements to Parramatta's one. Uh, two Eels on report to the Roosters one. And in terms of interchanges used, the Roosters didn't use all the interchanges, only six. Interesting. Uh, how did you see this one, mate? Well, I think we'll put aside the indiscretions from the Eels, which are going to lead to suspensions, and we'll we'll deal with that separately down there. But that's obviously one of the big talking points to come out of the game. For, for mine, in terms of how the game was played, it was obvious what the Roosters' tactics were, which was to slow down the was speed of the ruck. Very similar to the St. George or Dragons a few weeks ago, but the Eels obviously responded in a better fashion this time around. 
yeah. So the dragons obviously have uh, put out the blueprint of how to nullify the eels attack, and in in some respects it works because it they were managed. I think they managed to drop our line breaks down to around two line breaks from memory, something like that. Uh, however, where the eels changed as will have developed as a team or learnt perhaps from that loss to the dragons was a lot more patience and composure and being able to create the tries by setting up camp in the roosters half in the roosters quarter that sustained pressure was what led to the tries being scored so um, for mine a game that was won with as i said uh good patience good composure that, that completion rate, mate, that really has to be admired when you consider the impact of losing Reed Marnie. So the service from dummy half was nowhere near its usual standard. It was slow getting out of the um, uh, clearing the ruck. The ball was uh, delivered much slower into yeah, well, that, the half. He, he was playing stands. dummy half by committee after Reed went down <sighs> with Quentin Guffis and Dylan Brown and Bryce Cartwright all spending various amounts of time at the uh, position. Yeah, so to to get such a high completion rate says um, quite a bit about the focus that the Eels had. And when you're talking about focus, that was a really a united team focus on that. Everyone looking to complete their roles as they needed to. So, look, I was I was really impressed with the a win that really came from strangling the opposition as much as anything else. The win does snap a four game losing streak the Eels had against the Sydney Roosters. And naturally, there's going to be some... I've seen criticism in some corners that the Eels didn't go on for the job against a, a vastly weakened Tricolors outfit. And it is fair to say that the Roosters are undermanned. But Trent Robinson's obviously no uh, chump change at coach, and he got them up for a big game. And as we saw last week against Newcastle, the Roosters absolutely ran the cleanest through them. Even when they had 12 men on the field, they still scored a try. So uh, I think the Eels did, a, I'll say, a commendable job. Obviously, they could have gone on and done, you know, and scored more, even with those tries that were disallowed. But uh, I think that... It's a continuation of who they are in 2021. They're focused on getting the job done. It doesn't have to always be pretty, but they are, you know, resolute uh, to the point of getting their, their task completed. Mate, where where the any of the punters out there, or sorry, the the pundits out there that aren't giving any credit to the Eels, you know what? It doesn't really worry me because what we're seeing as supporters is first of all the team that's winning. And we've spoken before about the development of the team over the years with Brad Arthur, where supporters have gone from having a team where you'd be pleasantly surprised if we got a win to now being deeply disappointed. If we don't go um, on and, not, po- and post and big not numbers. With losses, but with wins that, that aren't quite up to the standard that, that, that supporters might expect. So just let that sink in for a moment, any supporters out there listening the disappointment seems to come from wins that aren't as good as you'd hope they would be. Now, the point that we've got to now is in the development as a team is is from that supportive perspective, that we now have a team that goes out there each week and we either expect them to win or we expect them to be in there with a very good chance of winning. So where we are as a team right now is we are a team that is building into this season. Are the Eels playing champagne football or anything near what is probably going to be their best? No. Do you want them to be playing anywhere near their best right now in April, May in the season? No, no way at all. 
the the criticism that's come of the Eels in the past has been that they haven't been ready for finals football. So if you've got a team which is building throughout the season, then that is what is probably going to be the goal for this year. So uh, look, I'm I'm more than happy with where we're at and the type the football that we're playing, and more importantly. The two points that we're adding to our tally on the uh, premiership ladder every week, I can tell you what, just as I said last year, there's going to be a hell of a lot of teams who would gladly love to swap places with the Eels right now. Yeah, and speaking of the ladder, the Eels do now own outright second position following the Rabbitohs falling to the Melbourne Storm this week. Um, they actually, we, we were in touching range of the Melbourne Storm and the Penrith Panthers for and against as well prior to round nine where... Both those teams exploded for 50-0 and 46-0 victories. So our uh, poultry for and against of 136 which is uh, third best in the competition, I believe now. Yeah, third best in the competition uh, trails the 200 of the Panthers and 184 of the Melbourne Storm. Um, and as we mentioned last time, the Roosters on 123 for and against, and then it goes 61 for the Rabbitohs and then four for the Dragons, and then it's all negative after that. So uh, Eels definitely well positioned, outright second and third best for and against. Doing some pretty good stuff on the on the uh, 2021 campaign. Let's talk individual performances and, and sort of moments of notice. Uh, who stood out, what stood out, uh, and what do you want to talk about, mate? Because there's a particular try I want to give some credit to. There's some players we can talk about. Where do you want to start with that one? Oh, well, if we start with indiv- individual performances, once again, it's pretty hard to go past Gutho. He's um, he's having a season which really carries on from a stellar year last year, probably one where arguably he should have won the Dally M Award at the end of the year, but... That's of course now in the past. We'll we'll move on. But he's had he had another stellar game. I think he was the um, uh, game high for run meters uh, within the yeah, team. Yeah, just shy of two hundred. Uh, NRL.com's got him clocked at one hundred ninety three meters from eighteen carries, uh, including five tackle busts. So he's uh, starting to rack up the tackle breaks there. The fullback. Yeah, and I think our forwards did a tremendous job. Um, Isaiah Papali'i, uh, Reg. Junior, they did what they needed to do down the middle. Got some good running meters, made uh, bent that line. Um, so I, on that, them- if you just allow me to interject, I do want to give Junior a big shout out there because he's posted twenty three runs for one hundred and seventy five meters, which is exactly the same as what Zai Papali is being credited with. But uh, Junior went to the line deep and passed on about six or seven occasions, which would have been brought him well over two hundred meters if he just tucked the ball under his arm and carried it. But you don't get credited with run meters when you pass the ball. So he got 175 meters off 23 runs in a game where I think he might have had about 36 possessions. So he was being used heavily in different in um, different capacities and you know got through a mountain of work. And that's what makes him dangerous when he's in that sort of mood because the defense isn't sure, is he going to pass or is he going to use his frame to dig through that line and possibly pop out the other side? So... Yeah, and it's, and even more so when the eels are on the attack, right on right on the rooster's line, the the number of times that he put them under threat of um, carrying the ball fully into the defence as opposed to uh, serving a link role, it it created confusion in the defence, and that's what we really want to see. In fact, I'd venture to say when we're talking about the eels' attack, and we we've given the roosters. A bit of a serve in terms of saying that they push the boundaries defensively, but they are a very well-drilled defensive out outfit. And I I have little doubts that if the Eels were up against one of the lesser lights in defence, that 
it would have been in excess of a half century that was put on the board. You have to give lots of credit to the Roosters' defence in terms of the way they were resilient on their line. Yeah, they held up tremendously well uh, throughout the course of that contest. And like you said, against the lesser opposition, and we know there's quite a bit of lesser opposition in 2021, the Eels go on and, and notch up the half century, for, I think, consummate ease. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and out, outside of that, um, Mitch Moses, mate, he, after... Losing Reed Marnie, you, for a start, he hasn't got the service coming to him that he would want. And not only that, he then had the his other halves partner, Dylan Brown, being taken away from the other side of the ruck for when, because he's now all of a sudden on uh, dummy half. Yeah, distributing the ball from the base of the ruck. Yeah, so the responsibility well and truly falls on Mitch Moses. Now, he could have under these circumstances, overplayed his hand. When he could have overplayed his hand as a, as a result of the uh, some of the calls that were going against the Eels in terms of the disallowed tries, he could have overplayed his hand because of the resolute defence that the Roosters were putting up for an extended period of time. But he didn't. He remained calm. He remained composed. He guided the Eels around the field. I, I thought it was uh, another mature performance from Mitch Moses. and. Uh, he is getting a bit of credit from the um, experts out there for the way his season is unfolding. And we don't need him to do anything spectacular. We we need him to be doing exactly what he's doing at the moment. And um, we know what his running game is like. And he really hasn't, he hasn't pulled the trigger on that because he hasn't needed to. And if he needs to, we know what's there. He actually, uh, there was a moment where he did try to take on the line on Friday night, but he um, got got tripped over on the turf. So he's not. It's like he's shelving his running game. He's looking to uh, pick his moments, but like you said, not overplaying his hand, letting the game come to him and controlling the flow of the game around that. And it's what's keeping the Eels just on time and ticking and purring magnificently. Yeah. Um, look, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Fergo. I thought that um, that was one of his. Uh, well, if not just a, one of his best performances, it was certainly one of his toughest performances that I can remember for some time. And it's not to say that Fergie hasn't been playing tough this year, but the way he was running into contact and putting his body on the line was just next level up, I thought, on Friday night. Yeah, he was uh, dialed in, very focused. The Roosters, like we said before, have a terrific all-round defence. The ruck defence is very strong. He was running into the teeth of that. Uh, without fear, and often falling forward, setting up a nice play of the ball for the next ball runner. So, well done to Fergo. Scored a nice try, two up against three defenders. Nearly got a second one. That one was agonisingly close. The uh, Watching that replay at the stadium, it's like, are you sure it didn't hit a paint, uh, like just a, a little slice of the paint there? But I think the, the video ref got one of the few decisions right there on the night. That was a correct uh, overturn. Or was given no try, I believe, initially. Uh, yeah. I believe that was a correct uh, ruling there, that it was no try. But for me, um, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Tom Opicic. Scored a nice try, sold all around, but his uh, taste in music impeccable. Uh, one of the greatest things you're going to ever have is hearing Creedence Clearwater Revival blasting out across uh, Bankwest Stadium and hearing Fortunate Son uh, blaring after his try was awesome. Um, I like mate, yeah, the, good pick-up there, mate, because I, I, I'd completely forgotten about that, but I remember tapping away... As, uh, as as it blasted out there. One, one of the greatest opening riffs to a, a modern song you're going to get out there, and it it is uh, 
definitely uh, like raises the hype levels at a stadium when you hear it cranking. So uh, well done to Tom. And he's um, uh, joined by Mitchell Moses, who we know has a good uh, taste in music as well. So a couple of uh, old-timey tastes in our music there from our boys, but I do appreciate it. Uh, we've already given a shout-out to all the forwards. Uh, the back row well, too. Well, oh, no, no sorry. We gave a shout-out to three forwards, but I want yeah. to give a shout-out to the back rowers. Uh, Ryan Madison, very solid. Uh, I think, did he break a few tackles in this game? He's credited with four tackle busts, yeah. I thought he, um, he managed to cut loose a couple of times looking for support. And then the player... Maybe uh, top tackle. He, he was top tackler, wasn't he? And let me just run across to the tackle column then. One second, sorry. I, I swear this is an organized thing. Uh, Ryan Madison, 37 tackles, does top the heels, yes, ahead of... Uh, who we got there? Papali'i with 28, Lane with 24, Cartwright with 27. So uh, Cartwright coming through. But we'll talk about Sean Lane now because promoted into the starting team from the bench when Nathan Brown was ruled out. Browning obviously nowhere near full goal with that hip cork and not uh, not fit, uh, fit enough, sorry, for Brad Arthur to warrant using him against the tricolours. Lane thrust into the starting team at lock forward. A role that he's played off the bench but never as a, a named starter, I believe. I thought it was tremendous. He got through a lot of work, carrying a lot of defenders regularly, defended well, no errors in uh, judgment defensively, no lapses in concentration, giving away penalties or dropping the ball. He was just really, really good. Man, he looked, the easiest way of describing that is he looked at home in the middle. Yeah, he looked really comfortable wading through all those ruck defenders. And the Roosters legitimately had troubles bringing him down. He was going through on post-contact, freeing the arm up, almost scoring a couple of times, carrying guys towards the try line. Yeah, and do you know, I think a measure of the effectiveness of the forwards is I could rattle off different things about uh, some of the forwards that uh, maybe we haven't uh, spoken too much about, and they'd be talking points in, in normal weeks. But um, you've got Bryce Cartwright, who uh, comes on immediately, scores a couple of tries, and and through um, game awareness, basically, provides an immediate point of difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Oregon, who who churns out his his um, consistent. He is he carry. is coming on something fierce now. He has solidified himself as it used to be the one-two punch of Reg and Junior, and now it's a legitimate one-two-three triumvirate. They are just an outstanding three-piece rotation in the middle for the Parramatta Eels. And as he has in in every appearance for the Eels in NRL this year. Uh, Keegan Hipgrave uh, again delivered without uh, fuss or fanfare, and he's and he has uh, a one hundred percent record in the NRL. Now he only just lost his one hundred percent record across all grades uh, when the Eels went down the previous week when he was playing uh, for, in New South Wales Cup, but he still is undefeated in Eels colours in the top grade. And again, when he's brought on, mate, he just he. He just does. He does his role, and that's exactly what BA is looking for from it, from his bench: is to players that are going to come on and maintain any impetus, any momentum. And I thought our forwards off the bench uh, just continued to do that again last week. And uh, given that he was a last minute replacement uh, into the team, um, yeah, I thought Keegan Hipgrave delivered well. And uh, as I said, the the um, the thing about the the Eels forwards is that. We could have had any of them as a talking point, as a focus point for uh, our reactions, and yet um, we we were we were not immediately going to some of these fellas uh, in our first uh, responses. Yep, uh, a couple of last things I wanted to touch on. Um, it was nice to see Dylan Brown free himself up at the end of the game, um, use a bit of footwork to beat some tiring forwards and slice through and score a try. 
that's the sort of uh, running I want to see more from Dylan. I mean, it's not like he's been shirking his work as a runner, but uh, in recent weeks, it feels like he's been carrying the ball almost like a lock forward at times, just, you know, head down into the defensive line. And that was a, a bit more of the the agility and elusiveness that we know he can produce. And um, that was obviously a nice way to cap off the game. And then uh, the other one I want to call out was the second Bryce Cartwright try. That thing was a work of art. The uh, the play, the interplay from Reed Marnie to Junior Pollard back to Reed Marnie, who then holds it up magnificently and, and threads the needle behind Joey Manu to find Bryce Cartwright to crash over. Uh, that was obviously a, a called shot there from the Eels that they'd worked on against the Roosters, and they pulled it off expertly. Yeah, that's the thing is that when you've got moments like that and you, you know the the work has gone into it prior to the match and it's and that's not necessarily just a, a, a one off either. That the, these sorts of things, the interplay between certain players is something that gets developed over a period of time and then against certain teams you know that it's gonna work. If you overplay your hand with the same sort of plays week in, week out, then the opposition's waiting for them. And it's like where there's been a bit of um, criticism for the old block plays, and we we spoke to Joey about that the other week, about are certain teams over-reliant on block plays? And as Joey said, no, there is value in block plays because of what you set out to achieve in the block plays. But I guess where it comes down to it is when teams are throwing out the same block plays every week that other yeah. teams just get used to it. When you fall, and fall into it as a, as a pattern or a habit of behaviour, it becomes yeah. a trap then, yes. Yeah, so um, if you've got a variety of plays that you can call on, if you've got, um, or if you've got certain um, favourite plays that you've got variations of them so that a team can't uh, prepare to... to defend against uh, one option that you might go to because you've got several options that you might that you are able to go to out of the one play. So, uh, yeah, mate, that was a standout moment. And it, as you said, just executed so perfectly. Just that threading of the needle of the pass from Reed Marnie um, through to uh, Cartwright. It was, it was a thing of beauty to watch live and, of course, then to be able to watch it in replay uh, even more so. But it was... I don't know about you, mate, but uh, my first reaction was, how did he get that through yeah. there? It, 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 it was almost magician stuff. Yeah, uh, very well done there from Reedy, and it was nice to see him get some bright moments before getting concussed and ruled out of the game. Another big moment for me was uh, he didn't have eye-popping numbers this week, uh, Mike Acevo. He got robbed of a try, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh, another magnificent kick chase where he, he leaps up and takes the ball out of Matt Icavallo's hands, gets gets six again for the Eels, and it should have been play on for the Eels on the attack. Instead, we had to use a captain's challenge and lose all momentum. But um, the big man showing that hustle under the high ball once again, as he did against the Melbourne Storm. I love seeing that. Yeah. Now, just as a, a prelude to that, I've, I've been um, reading what Colmack has uh, provided in his uh, Stats That Matter post. And at this, at this moment, it's still I, I still haven't published it. However, I've had a bit of a read of it. Now, he's calling out Mike Acevo in his post for the um, the running meters numbers and saying that he'd like to see a little bit more involvement from Micah. I, I must admit that it when I read that, there was a part of me that I, I wasn't sure about whether Micah's numbers were that low. It sort of made me reflect on it because... Like you, I, I I remember that sort of those sort of hustle moments where it's almost that's almost like a new Mike Siva that hustle 
chasing the kick yep. and to compete for the ball. Um, and so maybe it, it was a case of uh, Blake Ferguson was doing more of the carries from, uh, certainly Clint Gutherson was from the backfield because we, we know I mean, that we the had, wingers we had four, get we had, numbers up then. We had three forwards go over 160 metres and a fourth at 148. I think there's only so many metres you can get uh, in terms of uh, working. And, and I want to credit the forward pack because they got back regularly on schedule in order to take those hit-ups instead of leaving it to the outside back. So that's probably what plays into it too. But yeah, I, I do like seeing Micah hustle under those uh, bombs. Um, he has got such explosive traits and he's obviously getting um, pretty comfortable tracking the ball while running and leaping. And I want to see the Eels continue to work on that one because it's a great point of difference. And he's uh, proven he can do it in some pretty clutch moments too. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I, I think the the one talking point that I do want to come out with as well is that um, we've had Hayes Dunster on the bench for the last couple of weeks. And it's obvious that Hayes is there in case there is a, a backline injury or incident involving a, a, a backline player. And prior to that, Smith was filling that role. And, of course, the advantage of Will Smith is that he's not only can he cover backline positions, but he could also cover dummy half or the entire even spine. The lightweight, that lightweight lock, yeah. uh, extra playmaker sort of role that seems to be in, in vogue in the NRL at the moment. So the Eels have, have missed having him on the bench, Will Smith having Will Smith on the bench, and he's probably got a little bit more time out with the injury to his thumb. But um, are we expecting, or are you expecting, that Hayes Dunster's going to be carried on the bench again into Magic Round, or with uh, the concussion to Reed Marnie, um, do you think BA's likely to have a bit of a rethink around that? Yeah. If Reed has any sort of cloud over his health moving forwards into Round 10, into Magic Round... I think you're almost obligated to take a some sort of dummy half cover on the bench, um, and that's not a knock on Hayes, uh, and that that was definitely one of the big talking points, wasn't it? Because I think both Mitchell Mar- Mitchell Masters, Mitchell Moses, and Brad Arthur uh, both uh, talked about in the post game that they didn't really have a plan B for uh, Reed going down. It's just it wasn't expected, and and to be fair, uh, obviously you you want to have as many plan Bs as possible, but at some point you cannot cover every position in the team if it goes down. There is a limited amount of like, slots you have in a team, 17 players plus the 18th man. You can't always factor into every probability. But uh, having a backup dummy half seems like a need uh, if Reed is going to be you know, touch and go off the concussion protocol. So the question now is, uh, who do you look at? And will there be any lingering questions about the COVID bubble? Because there was some talk before we uh, covered the New South Wales Cup game on Friday night about players that played that game might not be eligible for round 10 because of COVID protocols, which we haven't heard anything further on. So if they, if they aren't there, you've got guys like Joey Lussick and maybe Nathaniel Roach, if you promote him into the top 30, because it's one week short of being able to use your development players. Um, how, how do you go about this, mate? What's your plan? Well, mate, for a start, if there's any issues around the COVID protocol, the NRL is stuffed in terms of all the teams <laughs> that won't be able to call on players because, um, there was basically anyone who was um, an NRL player that wasn't required for NRL duties ended up playing in their uh, New South Wales Cup, knock-on effect cup uh, matches over the weekend. So we'd have to assume that there's no fallout from that at this stage. Um, yeah, 
Look, it seems it, I'm going to use that that term in vogue, but it it, it seems to be that more uh, it's become in vogue for more teams to use a back on the bench this season, probably because of NRL HIA protocols. Um, seeing those, um, uh, having a back go down and having to shift forwards out into the back line, it's something that obviously coaches are trying to avoid. But like you said, it's teams also like to have a, a replacement dummy half on the bench. And that's why Will so, Smith was such an valuable piece to our bench because oh, he gave you incredible flexibility in being able to be either deployed in a certain role or, or facilitating a reshuffle that didn't disrupt the team too much where he could then you know, be in a position and push someone else to that uh, vacant role. Yeah, I think Will Smith's form this year as he's he's almost made himself invaluable to the team for for being able to cover those those types of roles. So, look, I think that um, if if teams are if teams are able to have forwards play longer minutes, maybe we're going to start to get to the stage where teams carry a couple of forwards, dummy half, and a back on the bench yeah that, that's actually an interesting concept isn't it if you have a pack that can go with distance like the Parramatta Eels do and I think someone like the Penrith Panthers might too uh, how much positional flexibility can you carry on the bench can you go for that uh, two forwards one utility one utility back uh, outfit yeah well uh, I'm just trying to think now about the, that Penrith bench as you mention it um, they normally cover Tyrone May Correct. on the bench um, do they also cover replacement dummy half off the bench? I have it in my head that they have had replacement dummy halves on the bench as well. I I could be wrong over over more recent weeks, but um, yeah, it's it is it is a concept that's um, I think has um, some possibility of playing out with teams depending on what their rosters like. But um, for this week. I don't think I don't think we're going to go down that path. I think VA is either going to make the decision that he's going to carry a replacement dummy half or a replacement back. So, um, and given that there's issues with um, who is selected at five eight as well, it's going to make for an interesting teamless Tuesday because um, you've got Wonga Blake who's due back out in the centres. Yeah, Brad Arthur uh, intimated that he'll be back in the mix for selection for round 10. Yep, so Murata's uh, suspension means he doesn't return to the bench. You've got, uh, of course, Dylan Brown's suspension. So um, who comes into 5'8"? I'm thinking uh, possibly Bryce Cartwright coming that, in. That seems like the most logical fit. Bryce having yeah. earned more playing minutes for certain off the bench, uh, where he's been stellar for two or three weeks in a row now, uh, been really impressive, playing great fundamental football and and you know taking what the defense gives him and exploiting that rather than trying to force things. Uh, yep. There that, are there are some other that, options. You could look at Ryan Madison too, I suppose. But Bryce seems like such a good fit. Yep. So, but that then takes uh, Bryce Cartwright away from the bench. So that's my boy Wiram uh, Greg's music, mate. He's back. Yeah. Um, and actually, the more that I'm thinking about it, I'm I'm wondering he might actually still take Hayes Dunster because if this is um, the first game back for Wonga Blake, you just never know yeah. if you get a recurrence of an injury and you the, either completely short of a gallop or yeah, a recurrence of an injury. A recurrence, and if you've already got a 
forward that is playing out at 5'8", can they afford to have another forward then shift out uh, playing in the centres? So, um, uh, yeah, mate, in, in, intriguing selection uh, quandaries there. So, um, to be honest, I think I'd probably need pen and paper to sit down and work out uh, what are, what are the all the configurations that are likely to occur from having uh, two players suspended and the ideal bench player still still injured? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I've like looking at the New South Wales Cup team. Who who'd be worthy of a call up? Obviously, we talked about uh, Wiramu Greg. If you want to reinforce the middle, um, I mean Ray Stone's there too. He gives you an option to reinforce the reinforce the edge if you need be. Um, and we talked about the hookers, Joey Lusick, who will be the de facto selection, I believe, because we're not eligible to use outside the top 30 yet. Uh, so Lusick over Nathaniel Roach, if I want to go for that uh, dummy half option on the bench, or at least at 18th man. Um, well, I yeah. suppose the, the option could be that they look at Jordan Rankin as that, a That's bench. right. If you want to, if you want to do, uh, leave your bench intact as much as possible in order to keep using Bryce Cartwright in that uh, interchange role where he's bringing so much juice onto the field, you ring Jordan Rankin at 5'8". I know the yeah, or or you put Jordan Rankin on the bench. If, True, as your uh, as your utility, because uh, he'd be able to give you better cover at dummy half than most other options, even if he's not a pure dummy half himself. And then also gives you those backline coverage options too. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think there's there's a few uh, options that BA's got up his sleeve, but I I'm thinking that he goes with um, Cartwright at five eight. Wonga Blake returns into the centres. The bench will be something along the lines of Oregon, obviously. Um, then probably Keegan Hipgrave, uh, Wiramu Greg, and then we start to talk about um, is he does he go with uh, Jordan Rankin as a utility or Hayes Dunster as a um, as a backline. Cover. Here's a hypothetical or, for you. Or, or as you said um, as well, um, Joey Lussick. Here's a hypothetical for you, 60s. Wanga Blake gets through the week but doesn't pull up quite as healthy as he wanted to do. So we've got a vacant right centre role. Do you put Blake Ferguson in the right centre and Hayes Dunster on the wing or do you go for the rookie Will Penasini? Mm. I'm probably looking to shift... Blake Ferguson because I I don't know that uh, defensively Will's learnt what he needs to learn to have an NRL start in in attack I think he's he's just about there when I say just about there I mean that he could debut but defensively I think he's got a few lessons still to learn what about you I wouldn't be against throwing him into the fire against the New Zealand Warriors. Um, they're a mid-table team, so they're not going to be able to exploit him as efficiently as someone like a fully fit Roosters or South Sydney or Melbourne or Penrith, obviously. Um, but I, I wouldn't be against Brad Arthur saying, you know what, let's just stick with the uh, experienced heads. Hayes has been in the team for the last couple of weeks. He's ready to go. We'll throw him onto the wing and Blake Ferguson into the centres. Alternatively, you could put someone like Ryan Madison at centre too, I suppose, and then reshuffle your forward pack. But I think you're, you're starting to stretch your forward pack pretty thin if Bryce Cartwright's at 5'8", and then uh, Ryan Madison's at centre? I think ultimately, when you if you use that old theory about um, 
you don't want to um, fill a position by weakening another. Exactly. Um, and you look at there's been uh, genuine strength in the Eels forwards, genuine strength coming off the bench, and uh, BA is going to be loath to dilute it, um, but his hand will be forced because of absences. So it will be it will be interesting because the way that I see it is that if we've lost a 5-8 and he decides not to go with Rankin as any sort of option, then I believe he's tipped his hat that he's, has, he doesn't really intend to use uh, Jordan Rankin in the NRL this year. Yes, correct. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I just see that... No, if I agree. You, if, if, a bloke's playing, if a bloke's playing 5-8 yeah. in the New South Wales Cup... And Will Smith and, is out... And, and we'll, yeah, yeah. So that's now, um, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I don't think Jordan Rankin could fill in and do a job for uh three games or however it, how long it is that Dylan will be absent for. But I think once you start to talk about um, you've lost a 5 8, who do you bring in? Oh, well, I'll shift our, our back rower into uh, the 5 8 spot, says. Um, you're looking at other options. So um, anyway, it'd be interesting to see how that uh, how that plays out, mate. So um, let's. Uh, uh, do you want to wrap up on a controversial note? You feeling spicy? Yeah, go for it, mate. Well, we've already talked about the two players being replaced for suspension, so let's cover that quickly, and we'll talk about the officiating on the whole, which was a bit of a mess, I think, uh, given that the NRL mandated new interpretations of both high contact and six again infringements. We saw none of that on either side. So I think both the Eels and the Roosters have rights to feel aggrieved coming out of the contest on Friday night. But for the Roosters, uh, obviously, uh, the Murata near Corey high contact uh, with James Tedesco followed in the same play by the Dylan Brown uh, knees or leading of the knees against Drew Hutchinson. Um, I will say that uh, Parramatta was probably fortunate not to have Dylan Brown in the sin bin for the contact on Drew Hutchinson. I wasn't you know, particularly happy that Drew got injured there. That's really unfortunate, and Dylan should learn a lesson from that. Uh but in saying that, on the flip side, I think that Murata, while apparently might have been sufficient against him, uh, Isaac Luke also raised attention to this, is that you know James Tedesco consistently dives at the hips of players with a ball in hand, uh, and it's been a, a trademark or a, haul, a coin card of his ability to break tackles because he recovers from that uh, forward momentum so quickly. But it also puts the defenders in a very difficult position where they've got a nearly impossible target the tackle legally. Uh, so I don't really know where to go there. Go from there, whether the Eels are going to contest on that basis. But at some point, I would like to see some owners' responsibility fall on the ball carrier uh, if they're going to continue to not. If they're falling because they're actually falling, that's fine. But if it's someone like Teddy who consistently uses that ability to lean forwards into contact as a mechanism to break tackles and create line breaks, the the defender must be given some leeway. I feel like. Yeah, and I think that's something as well that. Um Shelley is raised in her column, so if people are interested in going and, and uh, digging a little bit uh, more into that, if if not, posting a comment here on our um, on our tip sheet uh, uh, recap on the match, then um, you know maybe having a bit of a read of what Shelley's had to say on that matter as well. Um, it it almost harkens back to that um, the way that Greg Inglis used to lean forward when he was being tackled, which would lead to the um, being raised above the horizontal. And players used to get penalised for tackles on Greg Inglis when he was um, 
uh, you know, falling, actually getting himself to the ground um, on his stomach and leaning forward in the tackle. But of course, it would look like the players had upended him, whereas the a uh, lot of the momentum in the tackle had come about through Inglis's movements. So, um, yeah, it's I, it is an interesting call there, mate. I, I don't know if there's going to be any um, capacity to defend that in the judiciary, and and certainly um, given the Eels' track record, they're probably going to take the guilty plea. You'd have to think, yeah. It's it's not like I would like to see someone, whether it's the Eels or or elsewise, establish a precedent because it's starting to get frustrating uh, with so many players falling into tackles and likewise of players backing into contact and sort of uh, leading directly to pseudo crusher tackles. If you're going to back into contact, it leaves the defenders a little recourse, but to fold you over at times. So there's uh, there's some uh, technicalities of the rules that could be ironed out in that regard. And um, just as the Roosters could feel upset they didn't get Dylan Brown in the bin for ten. So too could the Eels be upset that the Roosters didn't have one or two players bin throughout the course of the game for the uh, use of cynical or deliberate six against to early encounters to establish a defensive line. Um, the referees actually cautioned the Roosters on a number of occasions and never escalated to a penalty or a sin bin, despite the new directive coming out early this week about how that would be a new mandate moving forward. So uh, hugely inconsistent officiating for both sides. This isn't the Parramatta Eels solely being picked on here or the Roosters uh, solely being picked on. It just makes the product that much more diluted or frustrating, I suppose, when the NRL saying that they're going to crack down on something on player welfare and on on uh, ruck manipulation, and instead we're getting blatant ruck manipulation and you know ignoring player welfare. So, well, we were people don't see these things um, in the television broadcast as clearly as you do if you're at the game. But let me assure anyone that was watching from home rather than at the stadium that not only were the Roosters guilty of the slowing down in the rucks, but their defensive line for the entire night basically positioned themselves ahead of the referee. And that's even before they gave themselves an early start in taking off on the line. So it was um, it was very much one where they decided, you know what, we're going to push the boundaries because the last team that pushed the boundaries against Parramatta came up with the points and I think there was no doubt at all that that and was you could, a... you could a see the whistle attack. fatigue play out. Matt Chechen caught out a lot of six against early in the contest and then eventually put the whistle away completely in the second half, allowing the, the Roosters free reign to try and tee off in the ruck and on their defensive line. And as we said against the uh, the Dragons, you can't really be upset at the Roosters because they're just gaming the system. They're, they're doing what they're you know trying to get as much as they can out of the game. The referees and the touchies need to be consistent. Yeah, and look, I'm... I'm actually disappointed that um, I'm having to be critical of Matt Checken because he's a referee that I have a high regard for. I think he's very composed in his officiating, and um, we've we've since seen the NRL um, make public comment that his his officiating wasn't up to standard, and that's fair. That's fair enough based on that one uh, performance. But I tell you what, I hope if they go down that path that all referees are treated equally because I think there's been times in the past where um, certain referees have been more fair game from within than other referees. And uh, I think, for example, uh, I don't, I don't never understood why Gavin Badger was uh, consigned to 
uh, touch Judge Judy's during that, his final. There sure year. feels like there's a, a political motive or political in terms of refereeing. Sorry, uh, behind the whole Badger situation, doesn't it? And that's uh, yeah. probably something that will be fully uh, excavated or excavated in the future as um, they dig up all that sort of stuff. And yeah, and and I hope that in this instance that, uh, as I said, I, I think I think Matt Checkin's a, a, a really good official, and I. I as I said, I felt disappointed that I had to be critical of his performance because um, I'll, I'll, I will say this, that whenever I've seen his name listed to to referee a Parramatta game... You never saw it. Yeah. I, I never saw it. Never, I never go into the game thinking about the referee. Like, I just... Uh, as soon as I read his name, it, in my mind, the officiating becomes a, a non-event. So... Um, it was it was disappointing that um, the performance wasn't up to standard, but for for the Roosters supporters and players that felt aggrieved, uh, believe me that uh, it, it certainly wasn't one way traffic in terms of and uh, how the that, performance all, impacted the team. Without mentioning that CSI Takiyahu dropped Blake Ferguson on his head, which I suppose could have been a symbol under the new interpretations as well. Like that, this is where we need to sort of draw the line and. And I think we've seen an overcorrection on Super Sad Day yesterday where there were so many players put on report for incidental moments uh, following the fallout from our game. So it feels like the NRL's just wildly swinging the needle from either side here as they try and, you know, overcorrect either way. And maybe we'll find a middle ground at some point. Mate, it's unfortunately what we've seen, the, the track record has always been one of uh, overreaction. And along, alongside the need to constantly be changing the game, in the last couple of years we've, be, we've seen so many uh, new rules or new interpretations being brought in and it feels like the product hasn't really found itself because teams are just you know scrambling to adapt to new interpretations and new rules every preseason. So anyway. And if the teams are scrambling, you can imagine what it would be like being an official, an official oh, absolutely. out on the It'd field. Absolutely chaos. And, and, and having to not only deal with new rules and interpretations um, but all of a sudden they went from having two of them out there on the field to one so a whole lot of new rules were brought in and at the same time oh we'll reduce how many of you are out there to deal with all these extra rules yeah uh, at, at that at that point especially with the six again it just felt like it was a uh, counterintuitive however on reflection maybe it would have been absolute chaos with the second referee calling um, for six agains constantly through um, through the games nowadays. So, look, I, I just don't like the six again rule. And uh, we knew that it was going to head towards exploitation. And it's exactly what's, how it's Team, Teams and coaches are just too good. They find ways to, you know, manipulate and uh, dissect any rule. And the six again one is so rife for exploitation. So... Anyway, well, I'll close up the, the books on the review there for the NRL game. Parramatta Eels 31, defeating the Roosters 18, lifting the Eels back into outright second place on the ladder. They've had uh, 16 points put together in terms of competition points. Eight wins from nine starts, just a one loss against the Dragons. They now trail the, the undefeated Penrith Panthers. Uh, and like I said, sole occupation of second place with the Rabbitohs dropping a game to the Storm on uh, Thursday night. And that was an absolute bloodbath, by the way. Uh, Rabbitoh's not going to be happy about conceding 50 and being held to nil in that one. And it sets the Eels up for a, a very magical round in round 10. Let's uh, get into the lower grades now, mate. And we're um, on hand for both the flag and the cup across two games. Where we got to do some very cool things this week, didn't we? 
Yeah, mate, the, after um, uh, negotiating with the New South Wales Rugby League to be able to cover Parramatta lower grade and junior rep matches where there is no broadcast or live stream that currently exists, that meant we were able to uh, be in the uh, broadcast area of Bankwest Stadium on Friday night doing a live stream audio call of uh, the Parramatta Reels against the North Sydney Bears, North Sydney being the Roosters feeder club. Um, our thanks, of course, to the New South Wales Rugby League and also to uh, the Parramatta Reels for um, being able to uh, accommodate us in, in bringing that to the followers of the Cumberland Throw. And uh, we look, we do apologise that we weren't able to advertise that any sooner but with everything that was going on with COVID and a few uh, NRL decisions and protocols that were coming out even as late as as Friday at lunchtime we weren't 100% guaranteed that we were going to be able to bring that to you I was liaising with the Eels uh, all through the the previous days just to make sure it came about but um, yeah so and and look, there, there may be elements where this uh, occurs in the future when it comes to where we are able to be housed for broadcast, that sort of thing. But we will endeavour to uh, bring you coverage of Parramatta matches of lower grades wherever it's possible. So, um, yeah, stick with us. It's been an exciting year for TCT so far, and it's um, hopefully it's going to continue that way. And so, like you said, the coverage started on Friday evening at 5.25pm. We're out there up in the broadcast box uh, next to the Channel 9 crew, actually, <laughs> adjacent to them uh, calling this game as the Parramatta Eels hosted the North Sydney Bears. There was a, a number of changes for the Bears prior to kickoff as they reshuffled uh, based around some talk about COVID protocols and some other things. So Eels had uh, one change with Keegan Hipgrave being called up into the NRL team, which meant that Kai Rodwell went from the bench to starting lock. But the Eels ran out very comprehensive victors, 39-0, to nil, securing that shutout victory at home. Uh, try scorers look like this with Mike Oldfield starting the scoring in the 21st minute, followed by Hayes Perham, Sean Russell nabbing a double, Lala Toa Mata Arthur also scoring with Ellie Elzgaham and Kai Rodwell rounding out the seven tries. Jordan Rankin pretty solid off the boot, five from seven off the tee. Jacob Arthur adding the disrespectful field goal right at the death. This was a good contest, mate. Uh, the, the Bears really threw a lot at the Parramatta Eels in that first 20, uh, 20 minutes. Had a couple opportunities to score, but butchered it the last pass. But the Eels then rallied from there and really closed the books on the Bears. Didn't really give them a shot. Yeah, it was it was an interesting game as it unfolded because that first twenty minutes, it it seemed that the Bears had a lot more of the running than the Eels did. The Eels were having to scramble because the Bears were finding ways to get it around the Eels' uh, compacted defence. And as you said, there was only some last passes that went the wrong way, weren't executed well, that probably prevented them from being first to score. But then it was it was like the Eels got into the sort of groove that the Bears couldn't find themselves. So at the start of the game, the Bears were doing a great job of, as I said, hitting those uh, the flanks of the Eels. They were doing a good job of turning the teams around, getting them back into... Um, uh, the backfield, putting pressure on. And uh, then as the game unfolded, that kicking game just wasn't anywhere near what it was before. And um, all, all of a sudden, the early kicks that the Bears were putting in to turn the Eels around, 
just didn't happen any further. And we had um, uh, a game which it, it almost became like, well, I won't say it was a game of two halves. It was almost a game of uh, one quarter and then three quarters because first quarter belonged to <laughs> yeah. the Bears and then the following three quarters then belonged to uh, the Eels. Um, mate, the the forwards of the Eels, how did you how did you rate their performance? Because oh. I certainly thought uh, I, I rated the the Eels forwards as um, probably the the cornerstone of that win. A hundred percent. And on the on the day in our post game wrap on the broadcast, we gave Makahesi Makatoa a big wrap alongside a couple of other boys. And we now have access to the uh, New South Wales New South Wales Rugby League stats. Uh, it seems our eyes weren't betraying us, mate, because Makatoa went for nineteen runs, one hundred ninety nine meters. Um, he was also joined by Wiramu Greg, 14 carries, 126 metres. Elsagam went for 11 and 114 metres. Ray Stone, 153 metres from 14 carries. Kurt Dillon off the bench, 197 metres from just 18 carries. And uh, Kai Rodwell with a very solid 115 from 11, so close to Elsagam's production there. So, yeah, the forward pack really establishing that dominance. And uh, Makatoa was everywhere. He played huge minutes. Just going to quickly see where they've got him built down for. Makatoa went for 53 minutes. And, uh, yeah, Kurt Dillon off the bench. Very impressive. 53 minutes as well. And I'm um, powering out those metres. Mate, it, it, he was probably the one player that I should have given a, a little bit more acknowledgement to when we were talking about the match post-match because we certainly identified Makatoa. And it was hard to ignore him because he was taking multiple hit-ups. Yeah, in sets. Set. And, and not right. like, you know, filler carries. He was tearing into the defensive line. Yeah, and he was taking uh, some of those carries that you you might normally expect to see the backs come in to take a bit of the load off from the forwards. And as you said, these these weren't just the dirty carries that the forwards have to make where they're in traffic and um, they're getting absolutely hammered. He was causing damage on the defence with those carries of his. Uh, without doubt, he's... He's making, I'm sure he's making people within the Eels Club look at him and thinking, you know what, this bloke might have something more to offer. He's he's not in the top 30 at the Eels, but man, I tell you what, if um, if if there's spots that are uh, become available next year, he might be one that they put a bit of thought to um, elevating and into the uh, top 30. Worth mentioning, personally recruited by Ryan Carr to follow him to the Parramatta Eels, and he's been a, a pet player, I suppose you could say, for him. And I, I know that last year, the expectation from Carr when we had a chance to speak to him in the preseason was that Makatoa was going to be a, an important contributor in the reserve grade lineup before the season you know, went to uh, down the drain, rather. And he's certainly uh, lived, uh, lived to those expectations in 2021, hasn't he? He's been a cornerstone player for the reserve grade team. Yeah, absolutely, and um, as you said, those um, the numbers from Kurt Dillon supporting Makatoa there. I, I rated the performance of um, of Rodwell also because I, that, I that think great hit and spin, mate. You're all about that uh, uh, business, weren't uh, you? Mate, any time I see a, a prop get across the line on the back of a, a hit and spin carry. It's got a big tick from me. So, uh, yeah, I, I love the old school prop forwards um, or any forward that in, employs that that um, uh, tackle evasive technique. So, um, yeah, look, I thought the forwards did a great job. Elsagam scored a nice try for a bit of hustle on a kick chase from Jordan Rankin. Love to see that. 
Uh, he's thought- another he's another surprise packet uh, for this year, and we talked a bit about it in the broadcast. So um, a, a returning player to the Eels after being there in his younger years. That's right, isn't it, mate? Correct, yeah, in our junior rep system. Before he went to the West Tigers, I want to say, or maybe it was the Bulldogs. I always get that one mixed up. But he departed us during his SG ball eligibility and then found his way back now. Uh, I think he was part of the team last year as well before the, the season once again uh, never got really going. And, yeah, he's been really uh, pleasant. He runs really nice lines, got a good offload. Uh, so like I said, scored a try today on the back of uh, a great bit of hustle play, chasing a Jordan Rankin kick in the red zone. Um, and he's, he's given a lot of life to that route edge for the Parramatta Eels. Yeah, and, and mate, it's, it's just a, a quick shout-out to uh, one of our favourite players over the years in uh, Dylan Clifford, who's um, uh, been with the Eels uh, on and off for a few years. He's an Eels junior, and he got to make an appearance uh, towards the end of the, the game coming off the bench. So um, shout-out to Dylan there. Good to have him back in the blue and gold. Mm-hmm. Very happy to have Dylan back. And, um, uh, but, yeah, look, Really impressed with the the forwards, the impact that they made. Uh, going on then to uh, the halves in Arthur and Rankin, I thought it was a, um, a lot more balanced, the uh, roles that they played this week. I thought they found their groove, um, controlled, managed the game quite well. Um, and really, when you've got the forwards laying the platform and then your halves being able to play off the back of it, you're going to have a good foundation for any victory. Absolutely, mate. And uh, one player I want to mention that uh, you gave a shout-out to throughout the course of our coverage who uh, is in a position he's probably not too familiar with but was doing a lot of the tough work, ended up scoring two tries and has been something of a try scorer since transitioning to the wing. It's Sean Russell. Uh, got through plenty of tough work in the ruck, hundred and uh, sorry, 90 metres off 10 runs for him, but the, each of those runs was... Uh, very like tough going early in the set, scoring a, a couple of tries and doing a pretty good job defensively now as he started to uh, get more familiar with the role. I thought that, that was a really um, look. I want to say um, courageous game, but I'm maybe I just should say that it it was probably the uh, most physical that I've seen um, Sean play since he's been uh, playing at the New South Wales Cup level this year, he showed during the pre-season that he, he wouldn't shy away from the the really tough contacts. And there was even uh, a moment when um, he threw himself, absolutely launched himself at Blake Ferguson in an opposed session. And there was, um, the collision was like this mid-air collision as Ferguson was diving for the line and um, Sean Russell was diving through the air in defence and it, it literally happened, and this is no exaggeration, probably about five metres from where we were observing training. So you can imagine the sound that was um, that, that echoed around the field um, just right at that point and, and, and to have it right on top of us was something else and I thought, you know what, this, for this bloke to, at his young age, he's throwing himself at Fergie in full flight there. And we, we know how tough Ferguson is that, that try that he scored when he just took on the defenders and somehow managed to plant the ball down, um, was, uh, was evidence enough of, about how he'll take himself into contact. But I thought that was the, uh, probably the most physical that I'd seen Sean Russell play. I really liked the way that he carried that, uh, the ball fearlessly into the defense. And I think it's, 
it augurs well for his development because I think it's fair to say that when an opportunity comes to him at some point, um, maybe not too far down the track where he gets a, a run on in first grade, probably more likely that it'll happen on the wing. Yeah, it's either going to be a, a Gufferson injury long-term. That means we have to go to a fullback uh, and look to Sean. But more likely, when you consider, obviously, injuries and also just, you know, rights of construction, the way it works, it'll be at wing or centre. So he needs to be putting in these reps in positions he's not primarily familiar with and, and showing that he has the versatility to cover that role. And he'll put himself right in the mix when the opportunity comes knocking, mate. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm glad that you uh, mentioned the um, uh, our reference to him on Friday night because he he did stand out on Friday night, and it's uh, it was well worth noting. And it's also worth mentioning that the entire backline had great games. Michael Oldfield being the uh, the uh, steady handed vet out there doing a good job. Will Penasini getting through plenty of work. I thought Lola Tolmata Arthur had a very good first start. Took some great catches under the high ball. Uh, there was one moment where they. The Bears looking to be adventurous. Uh, chip kicked before half time, I think, down his edge from midfield. And he did a great job of an over the shoulder catch. Um, and then Hayes Perham, his most composed game at fullback. Very safe under the high ball this week after having some problems last week. Uh, chimed in really nicely in attack, working with Jordan Rankin and Jacob Arthur, and uh, looking very dangerous. Yeah, as we noted on Friday night, the reserve grade, the New South Wales Cup grade, I should say are a work in progress. They're always, due to the nature of the grade, you feel like it is always a work in progress, but um, they are new. A lot of them are are, are new to playing alongside each other. When you're talking about the recruits from other clubs, some of the young players, of course, have a familiarity with each other, but they've really been thrown up a couple of grades in this year, the, the the young blokes that are playing up. Uh, such as Arthur and uh, and Penasini and Sean Russell, so um, it's seeing them develop as a as a side. And you've pointed out some of the uh, what they brought individually, uh, and as you said, it, it's it's one of those games where we can st- we can be going on about the individual performances of certain players, but I really liked the way that they rebounded from what you'd have to say was a disappointing team and, in some instances, individual performances from the week before. I think Ryan Carr runs a pretty steady ship there in the reserve grade lineup, and and he deserves credit for that, and he's doing a very good job bringing on this young and inexperienced roster. And like you said, disappointing last week against uh, against Mount. He's had a chance to win that game despite that slow start. Couldn't quite get it done. Come back with an incredible all-round team performance the following week. So very well done. The win consolidates their position on fourth at the, well, at fourth on the ladder. Rather, uh, they don't actually gain a spot because the Bears were ahead of them. Four wins, one tie coming into that round. The Eels now lift themselves to four wins and three losses. No, sorry, four wins, one draw for the Bears. That's what the difference is. So Bears half a win ahead of the Eels still, despite losing. Eels do possess the third best four and against in the competition, though, trailing the Penrith Panthers and the Magpies. Both of them have uh, triple digits. Eels sitting at sixty nine on their four and against, which obviously there's a meme number there for you. So if you want to go nice, go nice. Uh, but yeah, uh, reserve grade doing very well and very happy for their progress. Let's talk about the flag, mate. We're out there on Saturday five. It was five thirty originally, but five o'clock kickoff out at Ringrose Park. Uh, a bit of a mad scramble for us to try and secure Wi-Fi to do the broadcast. We started about a quarter of the way into the game when it all was said and done. Uh, Eels ended up losing this game twenty-eight to twenty against the Sydney Roosters. Uh, try scorers for the Roosters was Viala Tamati, 
Michael Lyons, a double, and it wasn't a double, just a one for Vuati Karo-Levu. Michael Coleman and Jordan Swan also scoring. Corey Fenning going three from five for try conversions, adding a penalty goal as well. For the Eels, it was Matthew Komalafi, Oliver Clements, Atasi James, and Jaden Yates scoring. Kyle Schneider going two from four off the kicking tee. A very good first half, followed by a very ordinary second half, mate. I don't know how you can really paint a different picture here. Uh, no, look, I can't. Um, first of all, again, we, we gave a shout-out yesterday to um, Scott and Adam over at Wenty Leagues. And just to paint the picture, uh, when we're out there sending up, we're out, out there about an hour or so before the game kicked off. But uh, unfortunately, the uh, we do need a very strong Wi-Fi to be able to stream these matches. And um, with uh, great thanks to Wenty Leagues, they... Uh, we're able to provide us with special access to uh, the Wi-Fi, but uh, by the time that was sorted out, we were a few minutes, uh, well, 15 minutes into the uh, first half. And um, as you say, it was a, a game of contrasting halves because the first half, it was it looked to be that the Eels had the ascendancy. They certainly looked to be uh, providing the most threat attacking-wise of the two teams. Although the Roosters, again, you'd have to say that they found a bit of space on the edges, but um, we're very confident about how the Eels were playing and uh, and, and the way that the uh, first half was unfolding. But the second half, completely different kettle of fish, mate. And there, there's, um, you'd have to say there were just too many moments where the Eels switched off, where... And it was just in, in little plays. It was like when there was an offload or the ball would hit the ground. or yep. um, It just it was so many little moments that ended up just um, compounding and compounding and allowed the Roosters to gain uh, momentum and ascendancy. And in the game of rugby league, if you've got that momentum going, it's a hard thing to stop. Yeah, and there was a whole raft of changes for both teams ahead of kickoff. We we were a bit frustrated, that not like we're frustrated teams, frustrated as a broadcaster trying to practice getting all the names down because we're new at this whole live coverage thing. And you get the team sheet like, oh my god, there are like nine changes on both teams. So uh, for the Eels, we saw Matthew Komalafi, Chabal Tasapali, Sam Loizu, uh, uh, Tasi James, uh, Luke Bain all come into the team. And then for the, the Roosters, there was a woof. Uh, Corey Fenning went from winger the fullback, Michael Lyons, Jordan Swan, Vuati Karolevu, Jack Stringer, uh, Lachlan Poco, uh, Vialli Tamati, Brian Verhayen, and Josh Bevan, all significant changes to their starting roster to the, what was named initially. So uh, it was less, less than ideal prep for both teams, it looks like. And, you know, for the Eels, though, they had the, they had everything in order in that first half and then fell away from it. Um, it was good to see Sam Loizu back. He didn't have a prominent role in this game, but he's going to get better as he gets some game time under his uh, wings. Uh, the, probably the most impressive Eel was Atasi James, who was absolutely devastating in the first half. The Roosters did not have an answer for him. But uh, probably uh, he had a break in the second half and perhaps off on the bench just a little bit too long, allowing the Roosters to rest control of the ruck. But... Uh, Aside from that, Dave Halls was named, but I didn't really see him out there, mate. Maybe he got, he got banged up early on and, and didn't take back onto the field. Yeah, I I think I, I posed that question to you, didn't yeah. I? Towards, you, you did uh, say I think it Dave Halls named but... at number eight and just have not seen him because he's such an identifiable uh, silhouette out in the field being, you know, nearly two metres tall. But uh, did not see much of Dave Halls out there. 
Yeah, and um, and to be fair as well, that opening part of the first half, we were uh, somewhat uh, preoccupied. preoccupied, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So we are uh, we had uh, obviously the ill score early, and we were trying to uh, uh, intimate that on uh, on the blog and whatnot, but uh, could not get there as we were trying to get the Wi Fi fixed up. But yes, um. Eels, unfortunately, falling from... Uh, they were in the sixth-place position, taking on the eighth-placed uh, Roosters heading into that game. They do hold on to sixth place, but it is now a congested sixth spot. There is uh, The Bulldogs are on three wins and one draw in fifth, and then it's the Eels, Rabbitohs, and Roosters on three wins, uh, all vying for that spot. Eels with the only positive four against among those three teams. They're at positive six. Rabbitohs negative 33, which is largely due to what the Eels did to them the week before. And then the Roosters, negative 26. So uh, plenty of work to do here for the Young Eels. They've also been a victim of that roster volatility that we've spoken about. They've had a lot of guys up and down in the New South Wales lineup, New South Wales Cup lineup, sorry, and also uh, caught upon a lot of SG ball talent. Uh, so they're, they're very much a work in progress. They're going to have some high highs and some low lows. The key for Dean feeding the team is finding that middle ground, isn't it, mate? Yeah, and it's, it's probably the early part of the season now where you've got the elevation of the SG ball team and the and uh, some of the players that have um, maybe dropped back from um, being elevated to New South Wales Cup and they're dropping back. You, as you said, you're going to get volatility all the time, but I think early in the season is where you, you really start to get this um, impacted. And I think as the season unfolds and you start to get players holding onto a regular spot there, that's when you'll get a sense of what they're capable of achieving as a team. Right at this moment, I can't put my finger on what I think they will achieve as a team because I don't know that I've seen what their optimum side will be as yet. So, um, yeah, as you said, work in progress and um, we'll endeavour to bring you coverage of their games whenever possible. Yeah, and now that we do have the express permission from the New South Wales Rugby League to broadcast these games, uh, pending our ability to secure a, a stable internet connection, we'll be able to let you guys know in advance now uh, when and where we are broadcasting a New South Wales Cup or Jersey Flag game. So please look forward to that. Um, we are very excited to be doing it, and we know that we're going to be somewhat amateurs at it and tripping over our words and not giving you as precise a coverage as you could otherwise get from a radio broadcast or a television broadcast, but... Uh, it's going to be fun, and we hope you guys enjoy it. Well, we did. Look, we welcome feedback. Um, I did note that there was a, a quick response from someone who uh, their comment was that we didn't give credit where it was due to individuals in the um, in the game yesterday. So hopefully uh, that person can hop on and be a little bit more specific about what we can do to improve because we're all about trying to um, be as good as we can as amateurs in what we bring to you in our coverage. So um, yeah, don't shy away from letting us know what you think, whether it be positive please, or negative. Be, and if please, you are be, going to please be reasonable, though. We are amateurs. We're, yeah, not, yeah. we're not getting paid for our endeavours here. This is uh, purely, yeah. uh, you know, for the fans, by the fans. Yeah, so if you so, – so just further to that, if, if you have something that you'd like us to work on, um, yeah, just – if you can be, um, uh, I suppose, constructive in in what you offer to us, because uh, we're all about trying to see is that something we can accommodate? Is that something that we can we can endeavour to do? Is that something that we can 
um, try to change about how we cover because, as Forty just said, you know, we we are just amateurs bringing doing uh, what we can, but and sometimes we're probably hypercritical. There's nothing worse sometimes than listening to you, the sound of your own voice or to to the sound of your voice as you stumble over trying to. Uh, get a few words out during a, a live call, so <laughs> yep. it's uh, it's so I it gives an uh, an appreciation of the people who do this for a living when um and and forty has to do that play by play, mate. I don't know how you do it because there's very little time for a rest, and the the old throat is bound to get sore and uh, tested, uh, covering seventy eighty minutes of action nonstop, let alone our jabber that we go on with before uh, at halftime and then after the game. Yeah, We're well, not a radio station that can throw to a break <laughs> or some commercials or a bit of music at, uh, at different times. So, um, yeah, uh, so I'm going to give I'm going to give my support there to Forty for his play-by-play there. Like I said, uh, it was a revelation to how much shit I must talk in general, the fact that my vocal cords held up as well as they did. So yeah. uh, they're, um, plenty, uh, they're probably up there with Quentin Gufferson's legs as the, the fittest vocal cords you're going to get, apparently. So. Yeah. And now, and to anyone who's still with our reaction pro, uh, podcast at this stage as we get towards the end of it, uh, just a bit of a mention that at our next home game, at the next Bill's next home game, We'll be doing a live version of the podcast as uh, part of the uh, Paraleagues Match Day Entertainment. So stand by for further details on that around around the timing and any guests that we are likely to have for that. But in the meantime, the uh, to anyone who's been listening to our uh, live calls of the matches, uh, thank you for your support. As always, you're spot on, mate. Uh, thanks to everyone listening and uh, be sure to give your mums a hug and a kiss or a, phone, or a telephone call if they're not within a hug and kissing range. Uh, you know, they obviously do every lot for everyone and you love them. So very nice to be able to do this broadcast on Mother's Day and uh, share that sentiment, I feel like. Um, but yeah, thanks for stopping by and uh, we'll have the preview podcast up midweek as always, but you'll get plenty of action on TCT in between. You're going to have uh, Shelley's from the stands uh, we've got the uh, Stats That Matter coming up. Obviously, Team List Tuesday is going to be very interesting with what the Eels do with those suspended players insofar as replacing them. Yeah, lots of uh, fun to be happening on TCT, mate. Yep. So um, get on it, uh, have your say, and uh, we'll have you with us at an, hopefully at our next podcast during the week. Thank That's you, everyone. It. See you guys on the other side. Thanks for stopping by.